Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hi, I'm Tracy Koga. And thanks for downloading this podcast from ilikehugh.com. If you can, give us a follow or a subscribe. And remember that all the information about the guests in today's episode can be found at ilikehugh.com. Now, let's get started. I'm Tracy Koga with something short and fun. This is a Hugh soundbite. It is always so special when you read a book and you are actually in it. Well, maybe not in it, so to speak, but I am so happy and honored that we have Grace Echo Thompson here. And you are, Grace, the, an amazing book that you have done. And I guess in honor of your mother, and also, but also, I think it's your personal journey too. Is it, am I correct in this book? For sure. It was something that I have to resolve. Yes. And the title is so beautiful. And I, hopefully I don't butcher it, but uh, Chiro Sakura. And maybe tell us more about what that title means to you. Okay. Well, it's uh, important to me because during the time when mother was um, dealing with that, her whole life, at the end of her life, before the end of her life, she had lost so many members of her family. Like her, uh, she had lost uh, everybody except my two, my younger sister, myself, and my brother, my younger brother. But my younger brother also died before she did. So she had lost her two sons and her husband before she died. But uh, during the time that she was dealing with the fact of her life that uh, was totally shattered through internment, because my parents were married in 1930, 2930, and uh, my father went to Japan to marry her. He had already been in Canada for a while. And so in marrying, they, uh, uh, they were expecting to have a good life in Vancouver. And he got himself a good job that was related to what his older brothers were doing, which was the, uh, the fisher communities of the white Japanese and indigenous communities. Mm -hmm. And it was called the Codfish Cooperative Society. And my father became a buyer. So he lived in Vancouver. And I used to see him going to work every morning in a nice three-piece suit. With a, As a child, I remember the watch that, was, <laughs> that he used to put in his his vest pocket. So those are the memories that you have as a child. So all that was destroyed less than a, less than a dozen years uh, when they were moved into uh, internment site. Mm -hmm. So uh, when my mother was at the end, towards the end of her life, I think she was very angry emotionally. She was throwing things around sometimes. 
-hmm. And my mother was a very educated, incredible woman. So, so by do, doing that, I think she, she resolved herself, her feelings, when he, she started to write her memoir. But then she remembered the uh, haiku of a Japanese haiku master, Ryokan, and uh, she wrote it in her memoir. And it was, uh, in, in Japanese, it was Chiru Sakura, which means falling Sakura. The remaining Sakura is also a falling Sakura. So she said, she said, when I realized that I was still living, and that's when she wrote the haiku in her memoir. So for me, that even though it was a sad um, use of that haiku, uh, I felt that uh, uh, it just touched me. And uh, so I decided to use that because I was also a descendant of the Sakura. So uh, felt that my turn is coming to me. Oh, well, and through this all, Grace, what did you learn? Like, I mean, you, know, you talk about certain memories about your father, and obviously, you know, you have good memories of your mother. When you're reading her story and learning more about the history, how did that affect you? Well, I had always thought that I wanted to leave something for my sons to understand their history because I intermarried. And so, uh, uh, and my mother, my mother, both my, both their grandparents, my mother and my father were gone when they were, when they were little kids. So therefore, they had no idea about our history. So I was starting to write things down to give to them. And then when my mother gave me her memoir, and, uh, and it was all written in Japanese, so I had to translate it. And in translating it, because she told me to translate it and give it to the kids. So in translating it, I realized that uh, that uh, uh, that it was uh, very um, uh, important to me to not not just to my kids. And uh, a lot of memories came back through that. And uh, and I realized too that you know even when you're sharing your life together. Uh, different generations live it differently. Mm -hmm. We interpret things differently. So when I read her memoir, I decided that I need to say something beside hers that, uh, that uh, how I had lived those years uh, living beside her. But uh, uh, the things that were important to her were not as important to me. I had my own problems. You know, during, during these years. So I decided that I have to write to give to my son, not yet, not only my mother's memoir, mm -hmm. but my own. So the intention of, at the beginning was only to write uh, to read to my kids. I wasn't planning to publish a book. <laughs> okay, so I want to talk to you now. You did mention that you did intermarry, so you, your husband was not Japanese. Um, and you talk about a time in Winnipeg when you're living in River Heights and, and you're having your, your two sons. You mentioned, and I hope I'm quoting it correctly, you envisioned your life like out of a white magazine, living a white life, but you would never be white because you're Japanese. 
was that a turning point? And you do mention that that was a turning point in your realization of why identity and culture are so important. Yeah. I think, um, you know, uh, I never thought about, after I had um, started working, I was mixing in the larger community. Finally, I was feeling I was part of them. And then I, and then I married someone who was working at the same place as me. And, uh, and I never thought anything, you know, of course I did in the sense that I was one of the earliest intermarriages, mm-hmm. you know. So of course it was always there, but, but I had no difficulty. Uh, incredibly, my parents and his parents totally accepted it. We had no argument. And that was really rare, mm-hmm. you know. And especially, too, that it was about 10 years after we were released. You know, and, uh, and here, my father-in-law was a, uh, was a member of the Order of the British Empire. And he was a major uh, uh, decorated man uh, and served in the British and the Canadian Army. So, so for someone like him, and also his incredible wife, my mother-in-law, who didn't live long enough to see the children, they were so kind to me just totally accepted. We had a big wedding with their relatives and everybody. And so so I had started out my life so well without even thinking about the past. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so then uh, while I was um, married and had my two sons, I came to the realization that I am still different, that my, my children were experiencing the fact that I was different, that uh, their, uh, their school children, their classmates, the classmates don't know their kids. So they hear this from their parents. So, so I began to realize that they were, they were uh, um, experiencing this. And, uh, and I think I mentioned one about my five-year-old second son who, uh, who was told by his neighbor uh, friend that he was Chinese. You know, meaning that he's Asian, and uh, because in those days in Winnipeg, Japanese were just starting to come to the city. The only Asians they knew were Chinese. So, anyways, uh, that really made me begin to think about who I was again, and how it's affecting my children. Mm-hmm. And I think that's when I began to uh, change the way I was thinking, and it was a uh, rather a sad period because I was also working as a volunteer in, in school committees and things. But then during that time too, I, I was experiencing some rude remarks from uh, the community. So, so, you know, I had to kind of uh, look at myself again and then began to think again, who am I? I was born in Canada, don't know Japan, but uh, who am I? that I am treated in this way, and my children are now affected. Mm-hmm. And now we're kind of seeing it all happen again, aren't we, Grace, exactly. with the COVID? Exactly. Yeah. And you took a turn, and, and I found it fascinating, too, not only about learning more about Winnipeg and the Japanese community, but also in Vancouver, 
um, you know, the, the Powell Street neighborhood or whatever, and, you, and the festivals. Um, you're back in Vancouver now. What is it like? Well, yeah. <clears throat> um, until, uh, you know, recently, uh, I never heard, uh, I can't say never, but I, I never concerned me that there were racists out there. Uh, but, but I have to admit that uh, uh, ever since the, uh, the COVID-19 began, uh, uh, I remember one time we, uh, I was with friends in uh, Stevenson's uh, Gary Park mm-hmm. and uh, being yelled at by a middle-aged huge guy, go back where you came from. And uh, I didn't have, if I had uh, expected it, I would have said back to him, you go back where you come from. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, where do you come from? <laughs> so, uh, and, and all I did was yell back stupid to him. <laughs> you got to be careful, Grace, but I know you've got some fight in you. <laughs> But it is true that uh, it's um, we've uh, we're going we, not as much, but I think that because there will always be stupid people, mm-hmm. and I had come to the conclusion that it's not my problem; it's their problem. Mm-hmm. That they don't have self-esteem; they need others to look down upon. So I I came to the conclusion that don't think of it as your problem; mm-hmm. it's their problem. No. no, most definitely. What is your relationship now with your sons and um, your grandchildren? Yeah, actually, um, I have to admit that uh, I felt I was an inadequate mother, even though I was doing my best. The reason being that uh, I realized that my presence was affecting their lives. I, I felt negatively. You know, when I think of it now, I should not have thought that way, mm-hmm. you know, because it, these are facts of Canadian life. And particularly my past was I was living in a, in a uh, Canadian racist society. Uh, but my sons were living in a better world. Even so, uh, uh, there were some people who were going to raise it. And when, you're, when your sons are little, it's very difficult to explain to them. Mm-hmm. But uh, uh, I chose the path of educating myself to learn how to find the tools to uh, uh, handle this kind of thing. And so I started uh, a university study as soon as the, the children, uh, my two sons, uh, started school. Mm-hmm. And as I say, when they started school, I realized they were dealing with it. On there without knowing, without knowing what they're dealing with, mm-hmm. and uh, except that they know that uh, their mother was treated as different. So when my older son was in first year university, and my younger son was in high school, I started. Uh, uh, well, before that, when when as soon as they started school, I started going to evening classes to do uh, to take some arts courses. And then, uh, and then when they when they were older, I uh, I think I mentioned that I went to a, um, a meeting of a group of people making art, 
and uh, in that, and it was in a church basement. And I realized that I had some talent in art, but I like it and I enjoy it. So that's when I, I um, applied to enter into the BFA. Uh, it was called Bachelor of Fine Arts and uh, at the University of Manitoba School of Art. And I was accepted and I went and I did it. And, uh, and during that time, I was really still dealing with the issue of uh, being a different mother. And uh, I decided to take some more uh, courses in uh, Asian art history. And so I went to, and, and Asian art history was only taught at that time at uh, University of BC. So uh, my husband was very uh, kind to uh, let me do two years coming back and forth, but uh, essentially living in residence in, uh, at UBC to do a, a, a graduate studies in Asian art history. And that's when I came to the realization that uh, up to then I was always very skeptical about who I was and what I was. And that's when I, for the first time, felt pride in my ancestry. And, uh, but then I decided that I have to pursue studies further. And that's when I separated. And it was very sad. But I felt that my sons were already knew who they were. And they were both doing very well. But even so, I think it was a, um, not a easy thing for them to face either. But I, I did that. And I, and I think, you know, in retrospect, what a horrible thing I, I did as a mother. But uh, I, I have very good relation with my two sons. And they've done really well themselves you know, uh, accomplished for themselves. And uh, both of them, one is still living in Winnipeg, but he's a justice in the court of Queen's Bench. And my other son is in Japan running, operating a English language school. So, so I, and I have five great grandchildren, uh, not great, five grandchildren, <laughs> one great grandchild now. So I feel very lucky but why I'm living in Vancouver is because when you separate, you have to you have to uh, uh, find ways to make a living for yourself. And uh, and because I chose art, art does not furnish a lot of money, <laughs> no. <laughs> no. As, as we all know. And so for me, I had to move from place to place. Uh, as I needed to because of work extent. And of course, the other thing that I, I may be jumping, but um, in the course of this period, uh, I had experienced other, other uh, um, issues, which I, during the time I was writing my memoir, I realized that uh, within the memoir, sexism came into play. Mm -hmm. Yes. It wasn't just about racism for a woman. Mm -hmm. No, and yes, and that's very clear in your book too. Well, I have to say though, Grace, through all of this though, and as you're talking about your relationship with your sons, your grandchildren, your great-grandchild, the book, you know, maybe coming to peace with yourself too as well, 
you have to feel happy now, Grace. Or is there still things left un, unsaid? Or is there th still things for you to do? You must feel happy. Well, I, I am uh, I am happy that uh, the book, my memoir became a book to be <laughs> shared with many others. Mm -hmm. Because I had intended it only for my family when I was writing it. But I think that uh, in time, well, other people, I shouldn't say other people because I have never shared it with anyone, except that I, I was very lucky to be introduced to uh, a noted uh, um, editor, Barbara Pulling. And Barbara uh, read it and, uh, and she suggested that I should take it to a publisher. And I hadn't thought about it till then. I just wanted to produce something. I was going to self-publish to give to my kids. And, but when she suggested it and gave me a couple of names to, that I might access, so I chose Cape and Press because I knew they did a, they did a lot of women issues things. So and they accepted it without within two days they accepted it. <laughs> so that gave me courage to move forward with it. Yeah. And uh, so then, so for me now, what I feel very happy about is that I hadn't realized it until then that uh, my story was relevant to other young people too. And, uh, and because of my age uh, through the years working in, in communities, uh, I would say, and, and moving from here to here, doing curatorial work and that, I'm more involved with younger people. In fact, at my age, I hardly know anybody, any, hardly know many seniors. <laughs> Oh so, my goodness, yes. But I'm, I'm lucky because the young generations have been very supportive and given me a lot of courage. Mm -hmm. No, well, yet, like you said, your story resonates with so many women. And again, just knowing who you are and learning more about your culture has certainly helped me a lot, uh, you know, and, and piecing together a lot of the same history from my family. And I really thank you for this gift it's been a wonderful, wonderful read and all these different relationships now that, uh, that we now have together. So thank you so much, Grace. It's been an honor. Can't wait for the next book. <laughs> <laughs> I said, I, uh, somebody said that to me the other day and I said, yes, when I'm 100, I, <laughs> I'll put another one out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thanks so much. Yeah, thank you so very much. Thanks for listening. This has been a production of iLikeQ.com, podcast distribution from the Sound Off Media Company. I'm Jeff Woods, and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people. He, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. All, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all had. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know. And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast heard around the world and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from JeffWoodsRadio.com. 
Come on a journey like no other, where you will discover many rogues that will lead you to a happier, healthier, and more stress-free life. And the beauty is, you don't need any vacation time for this adventure. The journey will come to you. Join Avery Rich on your very own journey into yoga. Along the way, she will demystify yoga poses and guide you into a yoga posture or short sequence, all in less than 15 minutes. You have nothing to lose but stress. The Journey Into Yoga podcast. It's not for people who like yoga. It's for people who don't like yoga. Follow or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at AveryRich.com. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.